It's great to see you, church. My name is Brad. I'm part of the Newtown Gospel community. I've, me and my family, I was just, they said they were going to give me a huge cheer, so I just kind of laid, left a little pause for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, my family and I have just returned from three weeks in London, and we had a great time away visiting Catherine's brother. And really want to say thank you to those of you that were praying for us and thinking of us. We really uh, valued that time away, but it's been really nice to come home. Nice to come home, nice to come back to our family here at church, and it's been really special to reconnect with people uh, this week. Uh, This morning, it's my great privilege to open God's Word. We're going to be continuing our series in Colossians, our journey through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote nearly two, two millennia ago to the church in Colossae. Now, Paul had never met this church, but he heard amazing reports of the work that God had been doing there, and last week we saw how he gave thanks for their faith, hope, and love this week. We're going to see what Paul prays for the church in Colossae, what he wants to see in their lives. So we're going to read that together before we jump in, and we're going to pray for God's help. So uh, if you've got your Bibles there, open to Colossians chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 9 to 14. The verses will be on the screen as well. You might want to get them out on your phone. Colossians 1, and we're starting at verse 9. This is what Paul writes. And so from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. We thank you that it is your word to them and it is your word to us as well. And Father, we ask that your spirit uh, might uh, help us to understand it, help us to receive it today. Uh, that we would hear it and put it into practice, that you would transform us uh, by the knowledge of your will so that we might walk in a way that uh, pleases you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel like so often there's a gap in our lives between our expectations and our experience. I feel like life is sometimes like those nailed it memes. I don't know if you've seen them. You know, you really want that perfect first baby photo. You've seen some cool ideas online, so you go for the classic baby on the blanket, but it kind of doesn't really work out for you. Um, So that one didn't work, so let's try the baby under the blanket. We'll give that one a go. And nailed. I mean, that's a freaky looking baby, isn't it? Does that kind of look like the emperor from Star Wars? It's not just me. Man, they nailed that one. All right, so the blanket's not working. Let's go for baby in a pumpkin. All right, baby photos just aren't working. Let's go for some Pinterest craft. You've seen that melted crayon art, and so you give that one a go. What about the string balls? Everyone loves the string, string balls. And I know that when I'm getting ready in the morning, the thing that I really want is those sprinkle lips. That's what I'm going for. But I just, I just can never really pull it off. 
Now, as, as funny as it is to look at those photos, and I mean, if you type nailed it meme into Google, like, it brings up so many, they're hilarious. But uh, I feel like it does reflect something that's true of our experience of life. Like, there is this gap between our expectations and our experience. You've got this amazing picture in your mind of what you hope your life is going to be like, but just life doesn't seem to deliver sometimes. And it can feel this way in the Christian life as well. You know, the Bible sets before us this amazing picture, this high standard of life, this beautiful picture of what God wants our lives to be like. We try and live it out, but it just ends up like one of those nailed it memes. What Paul wants for the church in Colossians is for them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to Him. And this image of walk is something that Paul uses to describe our life, our conduct, the way that we live. If you're a Christian, this is something that I hope that you want for your life, for your life to please God in everything that you do. But so often we get bogged down in sin, we get distracted by life, we're weighed down by disappointment. We look at our lives and we think, man, How could God ever be pleased with this? This is a mess. I'm not happy with this. I don't know how God could ever be happy with this. And so there's this gap between what God calls us to and our experience. So how can we bridge this gap? How can we possibly live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus? What does Paul pray for the church so that they can live a life that pleases God? That's what we're going to see this morning. So have a look at verse 9 where we get the answer straight away. Paul prays this, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking what? What does they ask God? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul prays that we'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now I've got the whiteboard up here because the the logic of Paul's prayer, this is just one huge long sentence that goes for five verses. It's so complicated and entangled. And so I wanted to draw a bit of a diagram to help us understand the logic of Paul's prayer here um, so that we can track with it as, as we go through. So the main thing that Paul wants for this church is for them to walk. That's the goal of the prayer. He wants them to walk. And as we've said, there's this gap between where we are happy little man up here, our experience and what God wants, there's this gap. How do we bridge the gap? According to Paul's prayer, what he asks God for, how we bridge the gap is with the knowledge of God's will. So that's the logic that we're going to talk through. And then right at the end, we're going to see four ways what it looks like to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. So that's, that's the logic of Paul's prayer, where we're going. So I hope that that helps you to track with me. So Paul prays that they'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. What does that mean? Is he asking them that, that God might show them his specific will for their lives? You know, what should I do today? Should I take up this new job? Should I move to this place? Should I buy this house? Should I marry this person? What career should I do? What... What should I do with my life? Is that the kind of thing that Paul has in mind? I think it's so important to seek the Lord's will for your life. It really is. But I don't think this is what Paul is talking about here. Because he goes on in the rest of the chapters to tell us what he means by this knowledge 
of God's will. So throughout chapter 1, Paul paints this amazing picture of Jesus in all his glory and supremacy. He's the king of glory in whom all the fullness of God dwells. He created and sustains the universe. He overcame all the powers of evil at the cross. He spilt his precious blood for you, for me, to rescue us. And then at the end of the chapter, in verse 27, Paul introduces again this language of knowledge. The knowledge word comes out again in verse 27 and in chapter 2, verse 2. And Paul tells us what God has made known to us, what this knowledge is that he's talking about. What is the knowledge of the mystery of his will? It's Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If the Colossians see that, it's all about Jesus. If they're filled with the knowledge of God's cosmic plan for the world to redeem us in Christ then this will fundamentally transform every aspect of their lives. So, God wants to fill us, if you imagine this, with the knowledge of His will. Not just a little bit. Not just kind of half a cup worth of knowledge, but he wants to fill us to overflowing. And I'm not going to overflow this onto all the sound gear, but you can imagine that cup overflowing. Now, do you really think that God's cosmic plan for the world can fit inside our tiny cup? Is God's plan so small that it can fit inside of me, that I can fully comprehend his infinite plan for the world? Is it that tiny? I think what this prayer of Paul is calling for is for our horizons to expand, for our vision of life to enlarge. I want to say no matter where you are in your journey with God, if you're, no matter if you're Matt, lead pastor, or you've just come to Christ today, your vision of Jesus is not big enough. God wants to expand our horizons and lift our eyes to see what he is doing in the world. Now, this is not adding one extra little bit of knowledge into what you already know. This is about your worldview. This is about the fundamental framework of how you see your life and how you see the world. See, Christianity is not just a few facts to believe. Christianity is a new way of seeing life according to what God is doing in the world. And we see that you are not the main character of the script of your life. Jesus is the main character of the script of history. And you get to play your part in his story. Now, if this is your vision for life, this is a God-sized vision, not a Brad-sized vision, then it will fundamentally shape how you go about your day. As you wake up in the morning, as you get your coffee, get out the door, go to the office, meet your deadlines, come home, go to the gym, hit the sack. Or as you're home with the kids, you'll be asking, what are you doing today, Lord? It'll give you purpose as you see that your life is all about Jesus and giving Him the glory that He deserves. And you'll do everything that you do. All those things, waking up, coffee, work, deadlines, exercise, relationships, you'll do it all for him and for his glory. So the question that we've got, Paul wants us to walk worthy of the Lord. And we've got this gap between our experience and what God calls us to. How can we possibly walk worthy of the Lord? Paul prays for us to be filled with the knowledge of God's cosmic will for the world in Jesus. Because if you truly know that it's all about Jesus, it will transform the way that you live. It's knowledge of God's will that helps us to bridge this gap between where we are and what God calls us to. And I think that this reveals something really important to us about how we change. You see, we, we don't change by trying harder. 
by doing better, by behavior modification. See, our problem is so much deeper than this. That stuff's just like moving the furniture around the house. But if the whole house is termite-ridden, you don't need to move the furniture. You need to fix the foundation and the framework so that the whole house doesn't fall down. We need inner transformation to change the externals in our life. And that's what Paul's praying for as he prays for the knowledge of God's will, for them to be filled with the knowledge of this will. So we're going to move now to think about what does this look like to walk worthy of the Lord? These four things that Paul prays for. He's going to pray for us to bear fruit, to increase in knowledge, to be strengthened, and to give thanks. So let's walk through them together. So verse 10, Paul prays, bearing fruit in every good work. See, the gospel should produce fruit in our lives. It should produce good works in the way that we live and treat other people. God wants us to love our neighbor. He's prepared good works for us to do as his people. Now, these works can't save us, but they're evidence that we have been saved. Once we're saved by faith, we now live by faith, and faith produces good works, because faith without deeds is dead. Jesus told us that a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And so you can kind of trace that backwards from the fruit in your life. What fruit do you see in your actions, your words, your patterns of behavior? What does that reveal about what's on the inside, about what's in your heart? Now, now Paul has heard of the Colossians' love in the spirit, of their faith, hope, and love, how the gospel is already bearing fruit amongst them, growing their church. And now he wants them to continue bearing fruit by doing good deeds. You know, we see this gap that we're talking about. You know, God calls us to walk worthy. We want to see generosity and love. But we look at our hearts and we see greed and complacency. Paul's prayer is that we would see God's amazing love for us and for the world displayed at the cross as Jesus sheds his blood for us to save us. And as we experience that, that that would change us, that we would love other people the same way that we have been loved by God. And that's how you bridge the gap. As you understand the gospel, it transforms your life so that you walk worthy of the Lord by bearing fruit in good works. And Matt and Ruth have told us about some amazing ways that we can be doing that right now here at Anchor as a family. Simple love. Next week is the last week that we're collecting as a church. And it's really not too late to do something, either as an individual or a gospel community. This afternoon, the Newtown Gospel Community is going to be at Erskineville Woolies, collecting in the community as people go in, as asking them to collect something extra for asylum seekers. And we just organised that on Wednesday night. And it's come together in a few days. So maybe this week at GC, you could organise something similar uh, for the collection for next Sunday. And we've heard about Compassion Sunday as well. But in addition to that, as a family, we want these good works, these good deeds to overflow in our love for one another and our love for our city. We want to be thinking about the everyday acts of kindness that we can be doing that reflect the love of God. So what does it look like to walk worthy of the Lord? First thing, bearing fruit in good works. All right, number two, in verse 10, Paul continues, increasing in the knowledge of God. And so we see here in Paul's letter a kind of circular movement in his logic. So first of all, the Colossians receive the gospel. They understand it. They know Jesus. And then it bears fruit in their lives. And then he prays for them to be filled with more knowledge so that it bears more fruit. And now he's praying for more knowledge again. And so we see that knowledge leads to fruit and fruit leads to knowledge. Knowledge leads to even more fruit. And it's kind of like compound interest. Just the more you put in, the more it's going to produce. But this is not just head knowledge. This is not just facts about God. 
Jim Packer wrote that you can know all the right things about God in your head without ever tasting in your heart the realities to which they point. Isn't that so true? See, in the Bible, knowledge of God is always relational knowledge of God, the way a man knows his wife. This is the language of relational intimacy. God wants us to grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with Him, in our knowledge of Him. But the thing is that you can't divorce this from the mind. For while my knowledge of my wife, Catherine, is more than facts about her, it's certainly not less than that. The more I know about her, the more I know her. The more I know what she loves, the more I can please her. And it's the same with God. Increasing knowledge should increase intimacy with God. So we see then that there is no tension between the intellectual and the spiritual in the Bible. There is no tension between head and heart. The movement in the Bible is always through the head, down into the heart, and out to the hands. We can never exhaust the knowledge of God. We can never master Him. We can never get to the bottom of God. Spurgeon said in a sermon that divinity is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. And so we see this gap between what God calls us to, increasing knowledge as we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and where we're at. You know, you might think, man, I want to be like Arnaldo. You know, he's so spiritual, he knows God so deeply, he's always quoting the Bible, he knows so much theology. Like, have you seen the length of the quotes that he puts in his sermon? They like go for five pages, like he knows so much. But I mean, if I reflect on my life, I haven't even read the Bible in the last three weeks. Paul's prayer is that we would see that knowledge of God is actually always God's initiative. It's not like God is distant and mysterious, hoping that we'll kind of find our way to Him in the dark, making it really difficult for us. Now, God comes and makes Himself known to us in His Son, Jesus. He loves the world so much that He sent Jesus to die on a cross to save us, to forgive our sins, to wipe our slate clean. He sent His Spirit into our hearts so that He will always be with us, so that we can know Him so intimately, the way that a child knows a father. We've been adopted as His children. And when you think about all that God has done to be, you know, this is the creator of the world. When you think what he has done to be in relationship with you, I mean, doesn't that inspire you to want to know him even more, to increase in your knowledge of God? Church, I want to encourage you, as I, as I spur myself on as well, to pursue a rich devotional life, to contemplate the things of God. You know, just like you need physical discipline, physical exercise for, for physical health, I mean, it's exactly the same for spiritual health as well. You need spiritual discipline, spiritual exercise to be in a spiritual healthy place. So I want to challenge you to increase the knowledge of God. Maybe you're not reading the Bible at all at the moment. I want to challenge you to get a Bible reading plan. Just Google it online. Bible reading plan, you'll come up with like dozens of them. Um, Get a Bible reading plan. Get a Bible if you don't have a Bible. This is how we know God so deeply. Get a journal. R write and reflect on the things that God is speaking to you through His Word. One of the things that has been so important for me in my Christian growth is reading books, reading Christian books. And um, I did a quote from Jim Packer before. This book, Knowing God, is a classic. And this was one of the ones that I read in my early days as a Christian. It really stretched me and pushed me. He writes so simply and clearly and passionately. Um, 
but you know, if you, if you talk to me or anyone else, we'd be able to recommend heaps of other books as well. Um, want to encourage you in this area, church. What does it look like to walk worthy of the Lord? Increase in the knowledge of God. All right, number three in verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Life can be hard, can't it? I mean, relationships can be really difficult. Work can be frustrating. Paul's ministry is hard. He's in, in prison as he's writing this. Did you know that? He's writing to this church while he's in chains because he's been preaching Jesus. And, you know, we can be cruising along in life and then something happens and you just hit out of nowhere with grief or guilt, shame, sadness, disappointment, distress. And, I mean, we need power. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to put up my hand. I need power. Is there anyone else out there that needs power? But where can we find it? Well, here Paul points to God's power, his glorious might as the thing that will strengthen the church. He said, God is the most powerful being in the universe. He is the one that made it all. He created everything. He spoke the universe into existence with his word. All things were created through him and for him. He's the artist and the universe is his canvas. He molded the mountains. He flung the stars into space. The heavens are the works of his fingers. He's so big and powerful and yet he's concerned about me. He's concerned about you, us tiny, weak, fragile little humans. We have access to the unlimited power of God. Does that blow your mind? We have access to the unlimited power of God through Christ. What is this power for, according to Paul's prayer? It's for endurance and patience. Now, sometimes it's hard just to get through the day. Like this week has been really hard for us as a family with jet lag with the kids. Like Eva's been waking up at 2am in the morning and before that Ruben's been waking up every half hour and we've kind of been averaging one or two hours sleep a night and that one or two hours has been broken and it's been exhausting. And so, you know, it's just, it's hard enough to survive, um, hard enough to get to the end of the day. But God doesn't just want us to endure for the day, to, get to, the, to make it to the end of the day. The endurance that God wants is for life, to make it to the grave, still trusting Jesus. See, our life is not a sprint. It's a long-distance race. What matters is not how you begin, but that you finish, that you cross the line. See, to finish the race, to run to the end, we need power from God. Because in this sin-scarred world, there is so much standing in our way. Now, this is not stoicism, just gritting your teeth and getting through it when life sucks. Paul's vision for endurance is that it is with joy. See, only patient endurance inspired by hope can produce joy in suffering. And this is something you can't manufacture in your heart. Joy flows from the hope that we have in Christ, which Paul describes here and later in the letter as sharing in the inheritance of the saints. So, church, let me ask you, in what areas do you need strength and power right now? Because you need it. Whether you admit it or not, you need strength and power for endurance. Maybe you're stuck in a job that you hate. Maybe you're trapped in a repeated pattern of sin. 
Maybe you've experienced loss. You're in a season of loneliness. You're tired. You're overwhelmed by life. It's just too much. You're fighting a losing battle. Your strength is failing and you feel like you're in the sea about to drown. Paul's prayer is that you would know that the same power with which God created the universe, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, it now lives in you. We can't get through this life in our own strength. We need power from God and the good news is that God does not withhold it. This power is available for us in Christ. His Spirit is within us, strengthening us with the hope of glory, the hope of our inheritance in the kingdom of God. So what does it look like to walk a life worthy of the Lord? It's being strengthened by His power for endurance with joy. The fourth and final thing, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Now, Paul has come full circle here. He started his letter giving thanks to God for the Colossians' faith, hope, and love in the Spirit. And now he prays that the Colossians will join him in thanking God. Later in the letter, Paul instructs them to abound in thanksgiving, to give thanks to God, whatever they do, to continue steadfastly in prayer with thanksgiving. This is a major theme in Paul's letter. He wants the Colossian church to be abundantly thankful to God. And he gives them so many reasons to thank the Father in verses 12 to 14. And, man, there there is so much in these verses. You could really preach a five-week series just on this paragraph. So it's impossible to delve into everything. But I want you to notice that, for Paul, the gospel is the ground of thanksgiving. Let's look at at what God has done for us in these verses. He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. We were disqualified because of our sin. We were under the power of darkness, captive to sin, enslaved by our sinful passions, destined for condemnation. But God delivered us and transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son, Jesus. He's redeemed us through Jesus' blood shed on the cross for you. Your sins are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. You've been set free. And so we look at our lives. Paul wants us to walk worthy of the Lord, to give thanks to the Father. And we look at our lives, and where we should see thankfulness, we we see grumbling, don't we? We see discontent. We're not happy. Instead of being thankful to God, we ignore Him. We're angry with Him. Paul's prayer is that we would see the wonder of the gospel, that we would experience God's grace in forgiving our sins, and that this would produce thankfulness in our hearts. That's how you bridge the gap. As you understand the gospel, it transforms your life to walk worthy of the Lord. So what does this look like, to walk worthy of the Lord? It's those four things. Bearing fruit in good works. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened by God's power for endurance with joy. And giving thanks to the Father. Now, as I've prepared this sermon, you know, thinking about Paul's prayer for the church. To be honest, you know, the Spirit has really convicted me of my own need to grow in prayer. So often when I pray, I'm just praying for myself, you know. I'm praying for my own concerns. You know, my vision is get through the day. It's not the cosmic realities of what God is doing in the world. But my vision of what, but as my vision of what God is doing in the world expands, the scope of my prayer needs to expand with it. 
as well. See, we don't just pray for ourselves. We need to pray for other people as well, for one another as a church family, for the growth of the gospel here and all around the world. And I think in this regard, Paul's prayer is a wonderful example for us. And I want us to consider just two things about how Paul's prayer can shape the way that we pray. And that's his consistency and his depth. So first, his consistency. Look at verse 9. Paul writes, We have not ceased to pray for you. This is not a one-off, Paul, a one-off prayer from Paul. Now, usually our prayers match the level of crisis in our lives, right? You know, the more crisis, the more prayer. If things are going all right, then we don't pray that much. But here, the Colossians, they're, like, they're smashing it. They're killing it. They're doing amazingly well. I mean, do they really need this unceasing prayer from Paul? Isn't that a bit over the top? I think we learn from this that the initial success of the gospel is no reason to stop playing, praying. Now, Paul prays for God to continue the work that he's begun in this church. And as we reflect on the work that God has done here at Anchor in the last two years, I mean, hasn't God been good to us? God has done some amazing things, bringing people to faith, growing us in the gospel, multiplying gospel communities. It's been amazing to be part of. But we must not slacken our prayer. We must not slacken our prayer for this city. Just as Paul, we must not cease praying for the gospel to continue growing in our hearts, in our family, in our city, all around the world, bearing fruit in all that we do. We want prayer to saturate every corner of this church. We know that the church moves forward on its knees and that the gospel's vision, it is too big for us to accomplish on the back of our own strength or our own strategies. We desperately need God to work. And so, church, we must pray. We must pray. Do you feel that? I feel that. We must pray. We need need to learn to pray more and more without ceasing. So how do we cultivate this culture of consistent, unceasing prayer? I think just one simple thing that I've reflected on. I think we need to nurture our prayer instincts. I feel like Paul's instinct all the time, the first thing he wants to do is turn to God in prayer. Church, our first instinct in every situation should be prayer because we know we need his help. Now, one of the things that we've discussed as a staff team, just for Sundays, is after every significant conversation that we have with someone, let's pray for that person. And this is something that we need to grow in. Like, I might have had a significant conversation with you, and then I didn't pray for you. And same for Matt and Brian and Arnaldo and everyone else. This is something that we need to keep growing in. But maybe you want to join us in that journey. Maybe that's something that you want to try as well today, next Sunday, rather than just saying, man, oh, it was so good to see you. I had... I really enjoyed talking to you. Have a great week, hey? Why don't you say, can I pray for you? Let's nurture our prayer instinct, church. But really, this has got to move beyond Sundays, doesn't it? It's got to flow over into the rest of our our life, into the rest of our week, to pray consistently for one another. And I think Gospel Triplets is a great context for this. It's impossible to pray for everyone here at Anchor, let's be honest, that's okay. That's okay, we're a big family. We can't know everyone intimately, but gospel triplets is a wonderful context to pray for one another without ceasing. Imagine walking through life with people side by side, shoulder to shoulder, praying for one another, spurring one another on, praying consistently for one another. I want to put that vision before you of Paul's unceasing prayer. The second thing that we see from Paul is his depth in prayer. 
You know, Paul doesn't pray for exams, tiredness, work, sickness. It's not that God is unconcerned about those things. God cares intimately about the, the intimate details of our life. But Paul, Paul's vision of the kingdom is so grand and his prayer matches that. I think we need to grow in our depth of prayer. I know I do. Um, one of the things that I do in my personal devotions is I try and let what's, what I read in Scripture shape my prayer for myself and for those that I'm praying for. And I think that this is a, a great way to increase the depth of our prayers and make sure that we're praying the things that God is concerned about. So I want to challenge you, church, this week. Set aside some time this week to pray for others. Like, make a commitment with yourself right now to do this. Set some time aside this week to pray. Now, maybe that might be part of your personal devotions, and that would be wonderful, but maybe you're not in the habit of doing personal devotions. I want to see you get your phone out right now, get your calendar out, make an appointment with yourself for 15 minutes, right now. Make an appointment with yourself to pray. Make an appointment with God to talk to Him. And then what I want you to do is pull out Colossians 1. Pull out this prayer that we've been looking at. And, and maybe this, this logic, this diagram will help you just recall what Paul is praying. But get this prayer out from Colossians 1 and then pray this prayer for the people on your heart. Can you do that? Can you do that? You don't need to use the exact words that Paul is praying. You can. That would not be a bad thing at all. But let this prayer shape your prayer. You know, so often we feel this gap. I feel this gap in my life. What we want for our lives and our experience. And Paul prays that God would fill the Colossians with the knowledge of his will so that they might walk worthy of the Lord. This is the kind of prayer from Paul that produces a life that pleases God. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for you, church. A deep knowledge of the gospel that transforms the way that we live. This is the prayer that we need. And so the I'm going to pray this prayer for us right now. And what I've done is I've rewritten it in my own words. Tried to use some fresh fresh language to kind of think through what Paul is praying to to pray that for us. I'd love you to pray with me and maybe you want to kind of try and track with with the structure of what we've been looking at and how uh, that shaped my prayer. Um, We need God's help, so let's pray this prayer for ourselves, church. Let's pray. Father, expand our horizons. Lift our eyes to see all that you are doing in the world. Transform our hearts to walk in your ways, to live lives that please you in every way. Bring forth in us the fruit of the Spirit in acts of love and generosity and kindness to others. Fill us with the knowledge of your love so that we might know you deeper each day. Strengthen us with your mighty power to face the challenges that life will throw our way. Set our eyes on the hope that you have for us so that we can endure with joy. We thank you, Father. We praise you for all that you have done for us in the gospel that you have adopted us into your family, that you've delivered us from evil, that you've brought us into the kingdom of your son, Jesus. We are so thankful that Jesus has rescued us from the pit that we're in, that he's got rid of our sin, that he's wiped the slate clean through his death on the cross. Jesus, 
you alone are worthy of our lives. And so we offer ourselves to you again this morning.